Hey everybody, it's me, it's me, it's Mr. Sensational, Gino V, bringing to you greetings and felicitations. I think that's the right word, felicitations. Uh, I would normally say salutations. Actually, I would neither, I normally say neither of those things. But I have a long list of different television shows and other similar content that I'm chipping away at. A list of things that I've always wanted to watch, that I've always meant to watch. Ranging from relatively current things to very old things to things that I've seen before but wanted to rewatch. Um, you know, from with a bigger, better perspective the second time around, stuff that I've never seen before, et cetera, et cetera. And I rotate through these things, and one of the things on this list is uh, Star Trek. Star Trek, the original series. I will eventually be moving on to the various iterations of Star Trek, but I'm starting at the beginning with the original series. And I've tried to do this Star Trek concerted watch slash rewatch, because some of it I've seen before, some of it I haven't, <clears throat> several times over the years. But I finally realized it's, it's far too arduous and time-consuming of a project to really sit there and watch, for instance, every single episode that ever aired of the original series. And instead, I have gone through and uh, researched a few different essential episodes lists of Star Trek the original series, and I've kind of synthesized some of those lists together to create my own essential series uh, episode list. So I am going through and watching, um, you know, a uh, hand-picked, a, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of, a curated list of episodes from Star Trek, the original series. And I will do the same thing with The Next Generation. I will do the same thing with Deep Space Nine. I will do the same thing with Voyager. I will do the same thing with, was it Enterprise? I will do the same thing with Discovery. And someday, perhaps, before the end of my life, I will have gotten through um, the various curated lists of samplings from each of those Star Trek series. But in the meantime, I am still here on the original series, and just yesterday at the gym, I was watching Star Trek from my phone while on the treadmill, and I got to this episode that was on my curated list of episodes to watch, and... Um, I can't remember what it's called. It's like the Squire of such and such. The reason it was on the list is this particular curator opined that any viewing of Star Trek, the original series, is not complete without a the crew of the Enterprise meets a, a trickster god-type figure. And so this is one of those episodes. And I didn't finish the whole thing because I was only on the treadmill for like a half an hour. And the episode's longer than a half an hour. But... Um, they're out in space, and they meet this annoying kind of dandy fellow. Um, and I can't remember what the fellow calls itself. Probably the, the namesake of the title, the Squire of such and such. So I think he was calling himself like a retired general when they were meeting him. But he's the, some dope. But I mean, I don't even think... It hasn't been revealed what he is yet. And this is not an episode that I saw in the past. This is my first time through with this particular episode. But it's unclear that the dope is actually a living entity because he has no, he doesn't read out as a living thing. It's unclear where he's coming from, where his power is emanating so far. But this dope was essentially viewing Earth through what the crew is surmising to be like a telescope or something and giving him the effect of seeing what, seeing events that he thinks are current on Earth, but they're actually 900 years in the past. So he still thinks everyone is like mutton chops and frilly shirts and, and, uh, 
dandy ways of speaking and harpsichord playing. So he's subjecting the Enterprise crew to all of this. But when he first encountered them, he sends them a message on uh, their little viewfinder screen on the bridge, a text message, as it were, but it's in kind of old-timey, old English script. And uh, it prints out greetings and, and I thought I was going to say salutations, but it was greetings and felicitations. So I offer you the tens of ones out there in the listening audience today for this very special episode 76 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast, I offer you greetings and felicitations. I also apologize if it sounds like I'm a little bit halting in my speech today. I don't know what's going on. I have this kind of like dry mouth going on and um, like my tongue is all dried out. So it makes speaking sort of feel like the, uh, the physical equivalent of having to listen to nails on a chalkboard. It's very unpleasant, but I'm going to try to uh, soldier through and speak to you anyway, because why not? That's what we do here on the Mr. Sensational Genovega podcast. Why do we do it? Unclear. Who do we do it for? The tens of ones. And what is the purpose of all this? There really is none. So strap on in and let's uh, talk about nothing for the next uh, remaining 30 minutes or so. Speaking of the gym, I had an odd encounter there yesterday. Um, I often go with my 17-year-old daughter, Miss Sensational One. We'll go to the gym together. And we did so yesterday, and we have our retinue of machines that we go through. And we were doing upper body machines yesterday. And um, the machines are such that there's an even number. So we'll take two machines at a time, and we'll each do our sets of reps, and then we'll switch, and then we're done with those two, and we move on to the next two. And um, every now and again, someone else is using one of the machines, so it kind of interrupts the flow, so then one of us just goes to one, and the other one waits. And then it eventually all clears up, and we're able to do our thing. Once in a while, you will get a lagger on a machine. And I've noticed these laggers tend to be young people. They tend to be teenagers. And it's usually unclear what they're doing because they will do like one or two reps and then they will sit there looking at their phone for an incredibly long time, just kind of sitting on the machine, just chilling. And up until yesterday, I'd only noticed this from afar. It hadn't really directly affected me. It had never been someone on a machine that uh, I was attempting to um, get onto. But yesterday, we had finished all of the upper body machines, save one, one at the very end. And a young man was sitting on this machine, and he'd been been on there for a while, because as we were making our way towards this machine, first he was there, and maybe using it or not, I'm unclear, and another guy stopped to talk to him because he recognized him, because I guess this guy is some, uh, the guy that was using the machine that eventually I was going to want to use, um... Guy's some choral star at one of our local high schools. So, so a, a fan was noticing him, a fellow teenager, and was like, oh, man, you did a great job in Mamma Mia, whatever that is. And that, that's some, like, is that, like, where they do, like, ABBA songs or something? I don't know. It just sounds really annoying, Mamma Mia. I don't want to go see that. But in any case, I know it is a thing. I know it is an entity, an entertainment entity out there, and this individual performed in a high school rendition of it. And so they were talking there for quite some time, and I figured, well, by, by the time we get there, these got to be done. 
So we get there, and the conversation about Mamma Mia has now long since ended, but the, the fellow is still sitting there on the machine. He's kind of slouched over. He's looking at his phone. He's this tall, skinny, spindly guy with that annoying kind of big, curly, sideshow bob hair. He's wearing a UCLA T-shirt. And um, he's just sitting there looking at his phone, sitting there looking at his phone, sitting there looking at his phone. And Miss S1 is like, maybe we should just skip this machine today. And I was like, forget that. Dude. We're going we're gonna to finish... And so I went up to him and I was like, hey, are you using this? And the guy looked around and looked at me just totally incredulously. Like, how could you possibly step to me in this way? And he's like, whoa, I am. I mean, I was and I'm going to. So I was like, uh, okay, that's, that's cool. And he just seemed all like just very agitated that I asked him. But it's like, dude, you were sitting on this machine not using it for, I, I swear to God, I'm not uh, exaggerating. It was probably like, eight minutes, 10 minutes. That's a long time as far as like the flow of the machines at this gym. And again, it'd be one thing if he was just doing these epic reps on it and then having to recover. But spindly bro is just slouched over looking at his phone. Anyway, then he did like two more reps on it after I asked him about it and then he got up and left and then I used it. But Miss One was very agitated. He's like, why did you, she's like, why did you say something? That's, that's awkward. But I was like, dude, come on. And we were completely in the right here to check in about whether the individual was actually using the machine or whether he was using it as a place to sit, in which case he could use one of the endless other unoccupied machines. But anyway, that was my first my first altercation at the gym. Not that it was even really an altercation, but um, first time I've ever had to interact with anyone really about anything at the gym, at this particular gym. And um, also the first time that that interaction was semi-negative. Um... But moving along, what else is going on out there in the Vegaverse these days? Oh, I know. I had an interesting uh, excursion last weekend. I got home on Friday night. My wife, Ms. S., and I had gone out for a while. When we came home, our 13-year-old daughter, Miss Sensational 2, was in the living room. Um... Hang on one second. I think I have a cat stuck in a uh, kitchen cabinet. I will be right back. And yes, I'm back, and I did, in fact, have a cat stuck inside of a kitchen cabinet. I have no idea how that happened. It's like this cabinet that doesn't really get opened. So I don't know how he got in there, and I don't know why he couldn't push the door open. Very, very strange stuff, but that is now resolved. In any case, I got home last Friday night and um, missed two was all fired up that uh, she wanted to go to an arcade the next day, which would have been Saturday. And my wife, Ms. S., was going to have to go out of town to deal with something on Saturday, so I was going to be on my own with the kids anyway. So I was like, okay, I will take the two of you to an arcade. Now, Miss One, age 17, decided she did not actually want to go, so instead I simply took uh, Miss Two, age 13, and I took her to a place called Epicenter in Santa Rosa, California, an hour from where we live in Napa, California. And Epicenter is this big complex. Um, it used to be at a different location, and it was just like indoor soccer fields, a couple of indoor soccer fields. And then they moved to a new location some years back, and the new location is... The same afore, I mean, it's not the same aforementioned soccer, indoor soccer fields, but they have indoor soccer, but now they also have like a bowling alley, they have laser tag, they have an arcade, they have like a 
restaurant slash bar type deal. Probably has some other stuff there that I don't know about. But it was this big sprawling entertainment complex in Santa Rosa, California. And I figured I knew where it was. I knew how to get there. And I knew they had an arcade. So I would take Miss Two to this arcade that she wanted to go to. Um, I called a friend of mine who lives in Santa Rosa who has a child that is friends with uh, Miss Two and told them we were going to be there. So they met us there. So this is the first time I've been to this particular place um, a while back for a birthday party, actually a birthday party of the friends that we met there. Um, But in that instance, I did not really venture into the arcade. I hung out in the party room that uh, they had rented as part of the birthday party and just talked to adults. And if you are an adult in a party room at Epicenter, it's kind of a neat gimmick is they have this like QR code menu that you can just text in orders for like, food and like uh, cold ones and such from the restaurant bar there and they'll bring it right to the party room. So I didn't venture out of the party room. I ate and drank in the party room and then it was time to go home eventually. So this was my first time engaging with the Epicenter Arcade. And it's the first time I believe that I, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, have engaged in a contemporary arcade. I've seen these contemporary arcades from a distance I've never gotten my hands dirty, rolled up my sleeves, delved in. But I did on this day because I wanted to see what arcades were all about in this day and age. Now, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega was a child of the arcade, the arcade of the 80s, the much, much beloved, much revered, much vaunted arcades that we've talked about, we've heard about. Uh, The great Vic Sage used to have that wonderful Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast that dealt with classic arcade game arcades. You know, I grew up playing in them. Um, Icy Robots, our station boss, has talked about memories of Aladdin's castle. Um, I used to, uh, when I was a young child, the Chuck E. Cheeses in Santa Maria, California was like the mecca for me because that was just, that was one of those Chuck E. Cheeses. It was before Chuck E. Cheese had totally converted over to like ticket games. It was just, it was just a huge arcade. And, And that particular location was a very big one. Just every arcade game you could imagine, it felt otherworldly being in there. Just just an endless options for entertainment that you could not possibly live enough lifetimes to consume and appreciate and enjoy. Um, But as we all know, the arcade scene scene has changed significantly since those halcyon days of yore. Um... As I mentioned, I, rem- I remember the first time I really noticed this. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure I've read this somewhere and it just kind of it makes intuitive sense. Arcades eventually were hit pretty hard by the rise of at-home video game consoles. Once you got up to like the Nintendo Entertainment System, you could play games at home that were as good, if not better, than anything you could find in an arcade. So it became less appealing to go shell out quarters to play these games with cranked up difficulty levels that are just trying to get you to spend more money when you could just own your games at home and, and kick. It's, just, it's the way of evolution with all digital entertainment, it seems like. You know, the movie theater eventually gives way to, to streaming at home. The uh, Listening to music on some jukebox in public gives way to listening to your music collection at home. You know, these things all get miniaturized over time. And uh, video games got miniaturized and and available in the home so there became less of a pressing need to go to these public spheres and engage 
And because of that, arcades, first of all, took a hit. I remember Chuck E. Cheese's started dropping like flies at a certain point. But then they also, the ones that remained had to adapt because we weren't far enough away from the arcade boom that now it could be a nostalgic retro thing like you see now with things like Arcadia Retrocade in uh, Arkansas. Um, the uh, arcade that was the subject of Diary of an Arcade Employee Podcast. You should look that If you have not listened to Diary of an Arcade Employee Podcast, look it up on your podcast purveyor of choice. Give it a whirl. It is a now defunct podcast, so you can go back and listen to the existing episodes and you will have a good time doing so. But in any case, arcades weren't gone long enough that they were now retro, but they couldn't exist as they did before. And so I remember like the few Chuck E. Cheese's that remained completely pivoted over to like nothing with us, nothing with graphics, nothing with a screen. It was all just, you know, games, throw a ball through a hole, get it, get tickets, claw uh, machine, prize games, all that, all that boring nonsense. That became the law of the land. And so, and this is like not even new anymore. I mean, I remember this started happening like 20 years ago when I lived down in, in San Jose. You started seeing a rise of a new kind of arcade. Like you'd get those like Dave and Buster's type places that were a quote unquote arcade. But when I would see images of them, if I'd peer through the glass, it's like, well, I don't see Donkey Kong in there. I don't see Popeye in there. I don't see Dragon's Lair in there. I see a bunch of like weird like foosball tables and Price is Right games. And, you know, again, I was very wary of this contemporary style of arcade because it didn't feel like you could go in there and play what I think of as video games, which is the, the 1980s console where you're controlling a character with a joystick and pressing buttons and stuff like that. So like I was saying, it's not as if this Dave and Buster's model of arcade is new because I remember the first time I ever heard of the franchise, it was like probably 1999, 2000, but it's, it's a, the, my post childhood iteration of what an arcade is. And it seems to have kind of become what the standard of what an arcade is now, because again, I've never actually hung out at a Dave and Buster's, but occasionally we've been on a trip somewhere, going through a mall in another town, you'll see, oh, look, there's an arcade, and I'll go over there expecting to see like a 1980s style arcade, and instead I see something more along the lines of this Dave and Buster's thing, which is a hybrid, a hybrid of the kind of like prize games that proliferated Chuck E. Cheese once they ditched all the arcade games with some stuff that sort of looks like old-timey arcade games, but not quite the same, and I always just kind of think, yeah, I don't know, it's not for me. It's not, it's not as good as it was in the old days, gosh darn it. And I start going outside and yelling at clouds. Um, but when I took Miss to, to the epicenter last Saturday, I decided, you know what, enough is enough. It's time for me to accept reality. It's time for me to accept facts. I'm just going to throw myself at the mercy of this contemporary idea of what an arcade is. Check it out. See what the hubbub is all about. Try to make peace with it and try to get over this bizarre expectation that an arcade has to be frozen in time in 1986. Um, R.I.P. Starcade in a California. So I went in and um, the first thing that happened is we met there and we met our friends and we had lunch. And my friend and I had lunch and each had a cold one. And then the waiter was trying to get us to get a second one. And it's like, yeah, but bro, we got to go hang out in the arcade. And he's like, oh, no, 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 you can, you can order one to take in there. So we're like, okay. So first of all, that, that's new because uh, I wouldn't be consuming cold ones when I was like eight and hanging out at Starcade in Atascadero, California. But uh, okay, I can, I can live with that. Um, so we walked in to the loud kind of casino-ish environment. And uh, 
bought myself one thing. I, okay, so this is a, a great uh, progression in the world of arcades, and I'm sure this is not. I know it's not anything new, but it's new to me. One of the obstacles to the arcade for me as a youth, and even when I was a little bit older and you'd come across some place that still had arcade games, you didn't always have quarters on you. You didn't even necessarily always have cash, like dollar bills on you to get change. Um, Thankfully, and of course, because it's 2022, 1986, this whole business of just putting a credit card in a machine and getting a preloaded card with credits on it is just phenomenal. Tremendous. So, bought Miss Two a card, bought myself a card, descended into the arcade. And of course, me and my friend, who's my age, we gravitated over towards, of course, there's a retro corner of the arcade. So I spent probably the first 45 minutes there playing old-timey games. And, okay, the, the upside of the old-timey section is Epicenter has one, as of this talking, one lone pinball machine. It was an Iron Maiden pinball machine. I'd never played the Iron Maiden pinball table. This was my first time. And I don't always play pinball. <laughs> but when I do... Now, I um, what I've realized with pinball over the years, I think when it comes to old-timey arcade games, and I mean, pinball is not necessarily... Pinball is more timeless because you can make a new pinball table tomorrow or you can play one from like 20 years ago and it's all more or less... It's not the same, but you know, it, it, pinball is its own thing, but it often gets lumped in with the, the old-timey... Arcade cabinets. Um, I realized that pinball really, when it comes to arcade games, is my jam. Because I've now discovered that with pinball, if I play a game, if I play a table three or four times, I can generally figure out how to score high enough to at least get one replay each time. So it extends the life of my time with the table far beyond the amount of credits I have or the money that I want to spend on it. Um, And that's kind of a nice feeling. Versus some of the old console games, which I'm just, or cabinet games, which I'm just horrible at, and I'm dead in two seconds. I'm just pumping in credit after credit after credit to, to get nothing, to get nowhere. So, pinball games are my jam. So, I had a, quite a bit of fun with that Iron Maiden uh, pinball table. And it's really cool, too, because you can, there's like 10 different Iron Maiden songs on there, and you can pick which one you want as the background music. It's just like blasting while you're playing. It's great. When it came to the actual games in the old timey area, I haven't spent a lot of time playing vintage arcade cabinets lately. So I'm I'm kind of removed out of the scene. And I have to admit, as much as I love thinking back to those games, as much as I love remembering the games, picturing them in my mind, playing them last Saturday at Epicenter was a little bit underwhelming. Now, I don't know... These games all seem to be in really bad shape. That might have be part of it, because I know... When you're dealing with an entity, like when I used to listen to Vic Sage talk about Arcadia Retrocade, there was a fellow there whose name escapes me who was actually like working on all machines, refurbishing them, getting in, them into tip-top shape. These games, like the the um, displays were all super dull and washed out. You could barely see anything. And like the, the, the joysticks were all loose. And, you know, that's uh, my dishwasher uh, letting me know it was done. Thanks. Good on you, dishwasher. Respect. Um... But yeah, the control, the joysticks were loose. The games were, felt really sluggish. They just weren't fun to play. And now I don't know if, again, 
This might just be a maintenance issue because Epicenter did not appear to give much of a toss about the old-timey area. It was just kind of like more of an obligation. We have to have a few old-timey games. And they had what do we? They had Double Dragon, which was really awful to play. I had no fun playing that game. I mean, now, not back in the day, just revisiting. It didn't, didn't age well. And it's kind of interesting because you don't hear a lot about that game, even in retro circles. And I, 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 I find that maybe it's because it just generally did not age well. It's very hard to control, very frustrating. Very clunky game. Did not have fun revisiting that one. Uh, Sunset Riders, still love that game. Great game. Had a, uh, tons of fun playing Sunset Riders. Um, what else did they have in the retro section? Um, they had Street Fighter, and I was horrible about those games. I played my friend head-to-head and lost. Um, gosh, what else did they have? They had Kangaroo. That was all right. They had Rampage, which I meant to play, and I never got around to. Um, I can't even remember what else was in there. Um, I think it was the Double Dragon was what really just made it kind of put it on the old-time area on a negative, uh, note for me, because I, I played it co-op with my friend, and we played it for quite a while, but it was just a very frustrating play. Um... But anyway, we're sitting there and we're in there for, you know, 45 minutes or so. And the kids already came back and they'd spent all their uh, credits. Because while we're playing these old-timey games that only take small amounts of credits, they're playing like the premium games where they're trying to get prizes. So they're already done. They already got all these weird little stuffed animals they wanted. They're they're good to go. Um, And they didn't even want like more credits or anything. So my friend and I still had some time. Not time. We still had credits to kill. And so at this point, we kind of gravitated towards playing some of the more contemporary stuff because it's like, God, if we just keep trying to play these old-timey games, we're going to be here for two weeks. Um, so we started playing the, the more credit-heavy games. And this is where finally, I mean, like I said, in the back of my mind, I kind of wanted to, to delve into modern arcade gaming anyway on this visit to see what it was all about. But of course, old habits die hard, so I just went directly to the retro area. But, you know... These new games are not half bad. They're not the, it's not the same, but they're not half bad. I played one game. I played a Transformers game that was all right. It was basically like any scene from any kind of console video game like Grand Theft Auto or Yakuza. There's always the obligatory part where you are in a vehicle and someone else is driving and suddenly you have an aiming reticle. reticle? Is that the right word? Engineer nerd should know that one as he's out there blasting fools uh, with his own... I, does he have, like, a cybernetically implanted reticule? Is that... Reticule? I don't know. An aiming reticule shows up, and you're, you start firing at the screen. And, uh, you, know, you know, you've all played that scene in the game, right? So the Transformers game, it just was that endlessly. You're just endlessly shooting. And I've never seen the Transformers movies, and I think that's where these weird Transformers uh, came from, because they didn't look like any Transformers I've ever seen in my life. They're real clunky, boring... Uh, kind of live action looking Transformers. But it's still kind of fun to shoot at them. And uh, that game, you know, I got a decent amount of gameplay out of, but then I just kind of got bored with and didn't bother to continue. Um, but that was definitely like along the lines of, a, of an old-timey video game just updated for the current day. But then where the current day games really shine, and which hadn't occurred to me, but duh, is uh, the co-op and competitive nature of them. There was some cruising type game, some car game um, that me and my friend and then eventually both the kids played together. And I, I saw this game and it's like this row of these car machines that you get into. You know, it's like, one, like I don't know how to describe it. 
arcade car game where it's in the shape of a car and you sit in a little car and you drive. You know, you know what I'm talking about. There was like a row of these games. So I thought it's like, oh, there's a row for X amount of individual people to come down and play individually. But oh, no, 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 no. You get in this row, you start playing. You're playing with whoever else is playing in that row. You're all in the race together. So that was pretty cool. Um, and I wish I could remember the name of that game. But it was, it was essentially like more or less like a Mario Kart game. Like it was absurd. You could crash. You could crash into other people. You could flip through the air. But you, but it wasn't like Mario Kart cartoony cars. It was like you were in, you know, a Lamborghini Countach or whatever. And then um, the game takes a picture of you. So you're, you know, player one, you have your picture like flipping off the camera or like doing gang signs or whatever you're doing. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And that was a kind of fun, a different kind of fun than the fun I remember from back in 1986 at Starcade, but a new kind of fun. Because just the the camaraderie aspect of it was different and more enhanced than anything I was able ever able to experience back in the day. So I appreciate that. Um, we also played this awesome Pac-Man Battle Royal game where, again, there's like multiple um, joysticks and you're all looking at this huge screen and you're playing Pac-Man, but you're playing Pac-Man with other Pac-Men on the screen, each being controlled by a player. And so you're both able to go after and try to eat the other players while you're uh, juiced up on a, a power pellet. But you're also still having to contend with the ghost and having to get through the level by eating all the, all the pellets. So that was awesome. Uh, cooperative, competitive Pac-Man. Again, brought a different kind of fun to the arcade that did not exist in the 1980s arcade. Less of the... 1980s arcade was more the sensory overload experience as an individual, just, just having your mind blown as an individual child in the 80s of all the different sights, sounds, noises. But it was a very individual experience. It started to change a little bit. You know, Gauntlet began to change the game in that regard. And then later, you know, you'd play games like the Simpsons game or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where you had multiple people playing together or the Street Fighter games where you're playing against each other. But the real classic era of the arcade, like you weren't, Donkey Kong was you and Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong was not you and your friends and family uh, camaraderie over Donkey Kong. Um, and so, in a sense, I guess that's a step up in some ways. And I guess the point being of this whole arcade story, we all learned something that day. Looking back, uh, no, but it was, it really was, I, I, it was kind of what I was expecting to have happen. I was like, you know, if I finally let go of these conceptions that, Back in the day is always better. In my day, we did this. In my day, we did that. And just accept what's happening now as its own experience. I kind of had a feeling that it would actually be fun. And it was. But what it also reminded me, and I think about this a lot with various fandoms and various interests. On one hand, it's very easy to... It's easy to fall into the trap of, in my day, everything was the best. Everything was better. Only classic stuff is good. Only retro stuff is good. Easy to fall in that trap. Also easy to be a person that just um, pot shots people that like old-timey stuff. Like, oh, well, you're dumb because you just think old stuff is good, but actually uh, new stuff is only good. Everything is it has its own pluses, its own minuses. I think what the issue is, what haters on retro fail to apprehend or they're trying to distract themselves from, and what drives people that are overly into retro to... to run into the arms of retro, is that when you are a child, when you are young, when the mind is young, when all these things are newly imprinting on you, you're experiencing all kinds of dopamines and, and highs just in the newness of life and the newness of experience and the newness of, uh, it's not just that like 
elevator action was the best game that was ever made and no game is ever going to be as good as elevator action. It's like elevator action as I experienced when I was like six, seven years old and I'd never seen such a thing and it, it was not conceivable that there could ever be anything better. That experience cannot be replicated. And that experience was hallowed in its time and it's even hallowed to think back on, but at a certain point it becomes unhelpful to wall ourselves off from new experiences, I guess I would say. And those new experiences, you're never going to get that high that you got as a child, I don't think. Um, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't still try to have them, I guess. I mean, if you don't want to, uh, to each their own, right? But uh, for me, as an aging person in this world, trying to come to terms with uh, the newfangled youth and not yell at the clouds too much, I sometimes have to kind of balance, you know, this is never going to be as exciting as it was when I was six, when I was seven, when I was eight. But hey, it's not bad for 45. Folks, I just kind of did this in a one take, one riff, 30 minute blast today because I um, was alerted shortly before I began that I was having to um, have a, a house guest over here. One of, uh, one of the Miss Sensational's friends is coming over after school. So I had to make sure that our house was not too scary. So that cut into my recording time a bit, but I still wanted to come through in the clutch and bring you very special episode 76. But I do think we are going to call it at this point. I think last week we went considerably longer, so I don't, I'm not going to shed a tear about going a little bit shorter this week. Although still, we're at the 34-minute mark. That's plenty. But no, no one really needs more than, we'll say, 28 minutes of, of Gino Vega once a week. Um, of course, sometimes we end up with more than that just because... They, that's how the Vegaverse rolls. But but you don't really need more than 28 minutes. So consider this, you got you got well over 28. I did mention last week that I was gonna talk about some of this like really hilarious um, talking about old men yelling at clouds, this is grown men renting of hair and gnashing of teeth over uh, Disney content. Uh, I was gonna get into that. But I had these fresh memories of the arcade and I had these fresh memories of uh, the gym or whatever else I talked about today because the memories are so fresh now I can't even remember what they were. Um, so I, I punted that thing, but that's still because that's more of an evergreen topic. And so maybe we'll cover that next time. I, I just both, I'm sure you, you've heard about this. You know, it's currently um, right leaning mutants that are, that are uh, having histrionics and pearl clutching over Disney. But they're not alone. It's every gradation of mutant at time has had their own pearl clutching Disney moments. When I was a kid, among the more um, in the more left leaning environment that I grew up in, Disney was the devil because they they espoused right wing values. Now they're the devil among right wingers because they espouse left wing values. It's freaking Disney, dude. Just kick back and enjoy the ride. We'll talk about that more next time. And also just this idea of this this bizarre, bizarre American cultural phenomenon where people seem to believe that watching fantasy, watching animated fiction is inherently going to cause people to act out what they see in the fiction. I don't believe that's true. A lot of people seem to believe that's true. Um, we'll talk about that more maybe next time, or maybe it will get punted even further if something else comes up before then. But for now, it's me. It's me. It's Mr. Sensational Gino V, and I will be signing off.